You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Well, good day, Highland. We need some Red Bull. Good day, Highland. Listen, I came all the way from Houston, man. Y'all got to do a little bit better than that. Good day, Highland. All right. Y'all the late crowd. Y'all should be rested. Hey, I bring you greetings from Houston, Texas. My name is Malcolm Marshall. I have the privilege of serving as the campus pastor at the Siena campus of Houston's First Baptist Church. Uh, This church is a blessing to my family in ways that many of you may not know. In 2017, uh, a little storm blew through Houston called Harvey, and it ran me and my family out of town. Uh, We ended up here in Waco. This was not part of our plan. We were trying to go someplace else. The Lord led us here. And a family from Highland took my wife, my girls, and myself into their home for a week. And they fed us, and they allowed us to share their home. They did not know us before we knocked on their front door. And so when I say that this place is fine to me, y'all, this, is a, this place matters a whole lot to me. And I'm thankful to see even years later that Highland is still that kind of church. As a matter of fact, I saw the family this morning, and uh, we got a nice little chuckle about some of those memories Uh, But to God be the glory for what he's doing in this place, and I'm thankful to Pastor John for this opportunity to be with you. Uh, Today, I am going to talk about the never-ending fight. Uh, If you are attempting to live for Jesus, you need to know there is a fight that we're embroiled in, and uh, today my hope is to give you some tools on how to walk through this fight with victory on the other side of it. Well, before I jump into my text, I want to uh, set the course for where we're going today. I don't know about you, but I am a fan of good jokes, good riddles. You know what I mean? Nothing inappropriate, nothing out of bounds, but, you know, those kind of jokes that make you laugh and make you think. I don't know about you, but I get a lot of people to give me corny jokes. Like I had somebody say this to me the other day, and I was like, that is cheese whiz. That is so cheesy. They asked me this. What did this coffin, what did coffin one say to coffin two? Why are you coughing? That's exactly. That was, I'm like, that's lame. Womp, womp. Like, scratch that. I like the kind of jokes, the riddles that actually make you think. And believe it or not, one of the best riddles to ever come to planet Earth is actually found in the Bible. I'm going to read the verse here in, a, in just a moment. It's in Judges 14. But this riddle came about when Samson was getting married. He shared this riddle on his wedding day, and truthfully, nobody would have known the solution had his wife not told it. But the story is, him and his parents, him and his mom and dad were walking down the road to the uncircumcised Philistines, and en route to this place, a lion jumps out of a bush and does what lions do. Well, Samson, super strong guy, he breaks the lion's jaw ultimately kills the lion, and then he puts the carcass in a bush off to the side of the road. Some time passes. Samson is back on that road, and he has this moment. He goes back in his mind. He's like, huh, I wonder what happened to that lion carcass. So he goes, actually finds the bush. The carcass is still there, and as he's investigating, he notices there is a beehive that has formed in the carcass of this lion. And Samson had a thing for hunting. 
And so he broke one of the vows that he took as a young man that you should never touch a dead object. But he reaches into this lion carcass, pulls out some honeycomb, and goes on his way. And we get a riddle from this situation. Let me read it to you. It's actually found in Judges chapter 14, verse 14. You don't have to turn there. Let me just read this to you. Judges chapter 14, verse 14. The scripture says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. So out of the eater, that's a reference to the lion, came something to eat, which was the honey. And out of the strong, again the lion, came something sweet. That honey was sweet, and that was the solution or the answer, I should say, to the riddle. Well, this riddle actually has some very pronounced truth for you and I today. Chances are, if you walk down the road, you won't see a lion carcass off to the side of the road. If you do, just call animal control. But lions are a lot like what I want to talk about today. And what I want to talk about is temptation. I'm not talking about that 1960s Motown group. I'm talking about Things that can catch us, uh, catch us off guard, they can knock us off our feet, they can surprise us and in unexpected ways send us down paths we never intended. Lions, just like temptations, if they are not completely dealt with, they will devour us. And so to align our hearts, I want to start with a working definition of a temptation. A temptation is anything that entices you to the point that you consider walking contrary to God's will. Like I said, temptations, they will devour us just like they would have devoured Samson had he not killed it. And so today I want to talk for just a few moments about the never-ending fight, this never-ending fight with temptation. If you've got a Bible, do me a favor. Join me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Corinth. And he is imparting some tremendous truth that though it was voiced many years ago, it's certainly applicable now. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is what the word of the Lord says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, 1 Corinthians, this is the only scripture I'm going I'm to handle today. 1 Corinthians is known as the problem book because Corinth was a city that was made up of lots of people who were spiritually immature, but they were very gifted. And if you consider, we're a lot like Corinth. We celebrate people's gifts and talents. We don't celebrate their character the same way. Their gifts and talents were being elevated. And so Paul goes to this church, he writes this letter, and he's trying to help them move from this reputation that has come upon them. Corinth was a wicked city, but it was also on a trade route, so there was lots of traffic in and out of the city. The religion of the day made the culture so depraved and so dark, there was a term used during this time 
that basically meant to act like a Corinthian. And it basically brought to mind this idea of engaging with all kinds of immorality, embracing all kinds of impurity and sexual sin. When we get to this particular verse in 1 Corinthians 10, the Apostle Paul is in the middle of a dialogue and he's talking about how do we enjoy the freedom God has given us in Christ without becoming a slave to it? How do we not let our idols overtake us? How do we not let our freedoms overtake us? As a matter of fact, it's believed that when he uttered these words, he was actually in the middle of trying to encourage these Corinthian believers to not be tempted to engage with the idols of the culture. The encouragement he's offering them applies now. And very simply, it's this. When you find yourself in that place where you've got a decision you need to make, you do not have to choose the sinful ones. You can choose to, but you don't have to. There is a way to step into a morally right situation that will not require you to be disobedient to what God has called us to as his sons and his daughters. So with that firmly in front of you, I want to extract three bits of truth from this verse, and then I'm going to give you some real practical aspects of what this means. The first thing is temptation is common to everyone. You see it there in verse 13, no temptation is overtaking you. That is not common to man. We often like to excuse our particular tempting circumstances as unique. Oh, this is just happening to me. The scriptures would say, nope. Matter of fact, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's nothing new under the sun. There are men and women who have come before us who have wrestled with the exact same things. And in the power of the Holy Spirit, they have overcome those temptations. That is applicable to us today as well. The second thing I want to draw out from 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is temptations allure can only go so far. Paul says, he referring to God will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Now what this verse does not mean is that God will not put more on you than you can bear. I don't know about you, but I've heard that countless times and people have pointed back to this verse as the justification for that verse. Here's what I'm going to tell you. If you find that statement in a Bible, God will not put more on you than you can bear. You need to get a new translation because God will put more on you than you can bear. As a matter of fact, oftentimes he does that so he can point us to Jesus. For some of us, that's the only way he can get our attention. This verse doesn't mean that, but what it does mean is that God will promise to limit the temptation to the point that we are in a position to endure it. So to the degree that you and I, if we're in this tug of war with temptation, to the degree that you and I lean into God, we're actually in a position to not lean into ourselves. And then the third thing this verse tells us is that temptation has an escape route. Temptation has an escape route. Now taking the escape route isn't necessarily easy, but what this verse says is that God has prepared an escape route and we can use it. He doesn't force us to, but he does give us an opportunity to take the escape. Sometimes we don't take the escape. When my daughters were younger and I would take them to the store with me, I made a point to never take them down the candy aisle because Skittles and Lifesavers became instruments in a hostage negotiation. Well, father, this is when I knew my girls were up to something. They, they would call me dad, and if they're really feeling themselves, they'll be like, Pastor Daddy. I'm like, I'm like, no, no. But they'll be like, Father, the Skittles look quite treatful right now. 
I'm like, first off, you don't talk like that. Second off, you ain't got no job. Third off, that means you ain't got no money. So you can't handle Skittles. But what I was tempting to do was prevent them from being tempted because I know if they saw it, there would be an, a, a, some gravitational pull in that direction. So we just circumvented that. Taking the escape route. I have, I have a group of guys that, that I do life with. Um, and one of the things we do, if we find ourselves in a situation where we're out in public, maybe having breakfast, and there's an attractive female who walks in the room, we do, in the way of taking the escape route, we, we do what I call the, the ceiling and floor ministry. So the ceiling and floor ministry looks like this. Woo, look at those lights. Man, that tile is glorious. Or, ooh, you got some new J's. Man, your feet look good. We're trying to honor that individual, but we're also trying not to dishonor God. If that is the escape route, we're trying to take the escape route. I heard in a sermon quite some time ago where Billy Graham said, the first look is natural. That's human. The second look is sin. I'm trying to, in the way of not being tempted, I'm trying not to lean into sin. And my hope is that this will help you do the same. Now, what I want to do is I want to get real practical. I want to give eight truths about temptation. And the reason I'm giving this is because you are either currently wrestling with some temptation. Two, you have just come out of wrestling with temptation. Or three, you will be wrestling with temptation at some point. It's just a matter of time. So even if this doesn't apply in this very moment, file this away because at some point it will. And I can tell you, whether you love Jesus or not, this is still going to apply. So let's do it. Eight truths about temptation. Temptation number one, or truth number one, I should say. Our enemy has been scouting us a lot longer than we've been scouting him. I have the privilege of serving as a lead chaplain for the Houston Rockets. And so, and before anybody says anything, yes, we needed a lot of prayer this season. I already know. But they played the Lakers this season and I'm at Toyota Center. One of the things I know about professional athletes, I'm talking through the lens of basketball, but this applies to all sports, college and professional. One of the things that a team will often do to get an advantage on their opponent is they will scout them. So they will look at film tape, they'll, they'll look at different things, they'll track their analytics, and the purpose is to get an advantage. The purpose is to figure out different tendencies and to find out, oh, these are things that they are prone to do. Well, the Rockets are playing the Lakers. I'm, watch, I'm looking at the scouting report of the person who, that night who was tasked with guarding LeBron James. I'm not anti-LeBron James. He's good. He just, he ain't really my cup of tea, but he's a good basketball player. We've had to settle this debate in our house. LeBron is not the goat, the goat Michael Jordan is. So just so we, so we settle that, um, we settle that in my house and my kids think there's something wrong with me, but I'm like, go get a VHS tape. That's all you need to do. At any rate, I'm looking at the scouting report on LeBron and here's what I know about LeBron. He likes to take 15 foot jumpers from the left side of the elbow. So if I've been tasked with guarding LeBron that night, my job is to not let him get to his spot so he can get off all these points. Well, I use that to make this point. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I have a real enemy who's been scouting us a lot longer than we've been scouting him. So the enemy knows what you like. He knows what is going to get you off task. And it's because he's been watching you. He knows your tendencies. He knows your habits. Our enemy is not a little red dude with a pitchfork and horns coming out of his head. 
Our enemy is a spirit that is contrary to God's will for us. And so if you don't know that you've been being scouted, you run the risk of finding yourself on this hamster wheel trying to make sense of, why do I keep wrestling with this same stuff? It might be because your enemy actually knows you better than you do. Truth number two, temptation always returns to the scene of its previous success. This is why the enemy, if the enemy knew he could get you with X, Y, Z, fill in the blank, if he knew he could get you with that in the past, what makes you think he doesn't think he can do that again? I had a mentor tell me a long time ago, when it comes to temptation, if it's barreling down on your door, do not leave a forwarding address. Because we'll find ourselves in this place of walking through the same kind of stuff over and over again. And if by chance that's you today, if, if by chance you're listening to me and you're like, man, I keep giving in to this same old thing and I'm tired of it. Here's what I want to tell you. you. You may want to grab hold of the difference between guilt and conviction. Let me explain it this way. Guilt is rooted in shame and used by the enemy to keep us from getting closer to God. Conviction is rooted in love and is used by God to keep us from getting closer to sin. God will use conviction, but he doesn't need to use guilt. So if you're feeling this, this, this shame of, ugh, consider the source. If it's conviction, it may be God chastening those he loves. But if it's guilt, you gotta know that's from the evil one. That's not from God. We want to be people who are moving forward and not giving temptation ammunition to take us down. Truth number three, yielding to temptation will not cut you off from God's grace, but it will limit your usefulness, your effectiveness to him. Most people don't think about this when it comes to wrestling with temptation, but oftentimes what we're wrestling with isn't even about us. It's about the people that God wants to bless through us. And if we mar our witness Oftentimes, that gets projected on our God. If indeed you want to be a man or a woman who is wrestling with your temptation well, here's what I would, here's what I would encourage you to do. Think back to what I shared earlier about Samson's story. His whole life is a cautionary tale of what happens when you keep giving in to temptation to the point that your whole life gets derailed. It's not that God can't use you if you wrestle with temptation but he can't use you to the degree that he would like to if you keep giving into it. Truth number four, any temptation constantly indulged in, denied or hidden, will eventually enslave you. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23. The B part of this verse says, our sin will find us out. If not this out of heaven, then when we get to glory. Everything done in darkness will make its way into the light. And so you and I would be better served dealing with our temptation so that it doesn't deal with us. I told y'all, we're in a never-ending fight. Truth number five, Satan has assigned certain people to feed your temptation. Be discerning. There are certain people that they're going to lock into, ooh, this is something that could potentially derail you. If indeed you love Jesus and you're desiring to grow in your Christ-likeness, I want to give you three people that you need to have in your life. You need to have a Paul, 
You need to have a Timothy and you need to have a Barnabas. A Paul is someone who's older, who's wiser, a little bit more spiritually mature than you. They, 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 they've got a little more life experience behind them. And you don't have to pay the dumb tax because they already did. So Paul is someone who can say, this might not be a good look. You might want to consider this differently because they've been there. A Timothy is someone that you're investing your life in. Someone that you can impart what you know. And I get this all the time when I talk about this. People are like, well, 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 hold on, hold on. I've only been walking with the Lord for three days. Great. Share what you've learned in those three days with someone who doesn't know what you don't know. There's no excuse. No excuse. If you are bearing the name of Christ, every one of us needs to be pouring our life into somebody else. If you're a three on the scale of spiritual maturity, you need to go find some ones and some twos. None of us get a pass in this area. And oftentimes we like to convince ourselves, well, I don't know as much as so-and-so. You don't have to. Take what little bit you know and give it to somebody who doesn't have it. But you need Paul's, you need Timothy's, and you need Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement. These are people who, who rally around you. These are the people when, when you come away with them, man, you feel like you can conquer it all because they're like cheerleaders. They're like errands and hers. They lift your arms when, when you get tired and you're not able to do it yourself. When you've got Paul's, Timothy's, and I'm going to say Barnabas, man, it can make this battle and temptation a whole lot easier. Because listen, if the only voice you're listening to is the one in your head, at some point, you're going to be in a ditch. So not only should you have Paul, Timothy's, and Barnabas, but you should be a Paul, a Timothy, and a Barnabas. It works both ways. But it's because there are people who are tapped into your temptation, and so being discerning oftentimes comes in community, having people that have earned the right to speak truth, sometimes hard truth into your life. Truth number six, your temptations will always bond with the wrong people and make you uncomfortable in the presence of the right people. When you walk in light, light repels darkness. If you walk in darkness, darkness attracts darkness. There is a gentleman who, who used to play for the Rockets. If I said his name and you follow pro basketball, you might know his name. We had the privilege, me and the other chaplains that, that, that co-labor with me, we had the privilege of investing in this guy, discipling him. And so I noticed whenever we would go to the games to do chapel, there was one guy on the team who always, when he saw us, he would always go completely the other direction. And so I asked this, this young man, I'm like, man, what is wrong with him? And he was like, yeah, he got some stuff going on in his life that you guys represent something he ain't really stepping into it this season. Years later, a bunch of stuff unearthed about how he wasn't living the way that he should have been, and it made sense. If you're going to be all that God wants you to be in Christ, you got to know you're going to repel things that are trying to take you in a different direction. And you'll attract things that may push you closer to the king. Truth number seven, temptation cannot be overcome by human reasoning or willpower. The way to overcome temptation is by complete separation from it. Complete separation from it. I'm not talking about justifying it in your mind and your heart. I'm, I'm not talking about, well, Lord, you know. Yeah, he knows. Leave it alone. I had a lady reach out to me not too long ago, and she confessed that she was entertaining the thought of leaving her husband and her children. And so as I'm listening to this story, we get to a point, and I, I found myself just saying, I was like, all right, here's, here's what needs to happen. You need to quit your job. She's like, what's my job got to do with this? I said, your job has everything to do with this because the man you're entertaining in terms of leaving your family for, he works with you. Complete separation. 
the minute you start trying to negotiate and justify, hook, hook, line, sinker, you about to get reeled in. Complete separation from it. And then lastly, truth number eight, failure to identify and target your dominant, dominant temptations, it guarantees defeat. If you want to lose, this is how you lose. You cannot defeat temptation and love your sin at the same time. You can't. That is a guaranteed loss. And to be clear, to be tempted is not sin. But to give in and to surrender and to yield, that is sin. It's no different than the person who, who says, hey, you know what? I'm about to get in shape. I'm about to go work out. And so they start working out. But all they're eating is Twinkies and Ho-Hos. And drinking Coke. You're working against the very thing you say you want. If you are feeding your temptation by kind of engaging with your sin, not identifying those things, it's a losing battle. You've lost already. I'll tell you practically what this looked like for me. My sophomore year of college, I came to know the Lord Jesus at Stephen F. Austin State University in Napa, Nowhere, Texas. The Lord Jesus kicked in my world with like, yep, it's time. Let's do this. I don't come from a Christian background, so this was all new to me. One of the very first things the Lord brought to my attention was I had made an idol. I was being tempted in some really unhealthy ways because of the music I was listening to. So back then, I was listening to, to Tupac and to Biggie and to uh, Wu-Tang and to Nas and to Jay-Z and UGK. But it's just like the working out thing. I'm trying to grow in the Lord, but I'm poisoning my, my spirit, man, listening to all this garbage. So finally, I'm like, all right, Lord, I trust you. And, and I sense the Lord saying, get rid of your music collection. I'm like, huh? Lord, did I hear you right? This is bad. bad. Can the Lord say that one more time? He's like, get rid of it. I'm like, ugh. This was before digital music, so I didn't have all my music digitized. I had it all on CDs. If you're not familiar with what a CD is, just Google. <laughs> had all my music on CDs, and at this time, I probably had 10, 20,000 CDs. Y'all, I, I go behind my apartment. I had uh, this big old dumpster back there. I had my music. Took a baseball bat to it. And I ain't gonna lie, I was crying, y'all. I love you, Jesus. Not begging, Lord, no. Like, I'm just, uh, it was a man. You know, I'm trying to be obedient. Lord, I love you, but please don't make me give this one up. Gave up all my music. All my neighbors thought I had lost my mind. They just like, why is that man out there banging them CDs against the bat? But here's what I realized. If the Lord revealed that to me and I didn't do anything with it, that's not on him. That's on me. So being made aware of those temptations helped me to move forward. And by God's grace, he's replaced all of the music that I've lost. Still a hip-hop head. I just listen to stuff that honors the Lord Jesus now. Let me give you some spiritual ammunition for this never-ending fight. Three quick things. Number one, our vulnerability to temptation strikes during two key times, in our greatest successes and in our greatest trials. See, in our greatest successes, when God is blessing what we're doing, it's tempting to think that we're above the rules. They don't apply to us. And then when we're in the valley and it seems like the bottom is falling out, it's easier to rationalize sin. Listen, you will never defeat your temptations if you're not honest with yourself because if you can't be honest with yourself, you can't be honest with God and confess you need help. Being honest means, Lord, I gotta confess, I'm weak in this area. And here's the thing, 
if you can confess where you're weak, it can't be used against you. But if you're not willing to confess where you are, and we all have it, I don't care, look around this room. I see people, they looking good today. You know, some of y'all still got on pastel Easter colors like it was last week, and praise God for pastel Easter colors. Y'all looking good, but the truth of the matter is everybody in here is struggling with something or will be soon enough. So none of us get a pass here, y'all. If you can't admit to yourself where you are, you're playing a game that you can't win. Being honest with yourself is the difference between winning the never-ending fight and losing. Second piece of ammunition I want to give you is a diagnostic question. And that question is, why am I drawn to this? Whatever that temptation is for you, why am I drawn to this? Maybe you're tempted to lie because you need validation or, or acceptance. Maybe you're tempted to overspend because you work hard and you want to have some really nice things. Maybe you're tempted to entertain some negative things that were said to you because someone you trusted kind of hurt you with their words. Here's what I want to put before you. Sometimes our temptations are directly correlated with unresolved stuff in us. So either things we've avoided or things we have completely ignored, those end up haunting us because there's a void that God wants to fill by his spirit, but we're not letting him be God. Maybe just maybe you need to be honest with yourself and ask, why am I drawn to this particular thing? And then the third piece of ammunition I want to give you, look at yourself from the inside out. Look at yourself from the inside out. The only way to counterbalance outside external pressure is to actually look inward to get an honest read on who you are and who God made you to be. I want to read to you a quote from Dr. John Piper, which I think illustrates this idea very, very clearly. Listen to what he says. He says, one of the evidences of not drinking deeply from Jesus is the instability of constantly moving from one thing to the next, seeking to fill the void. You may be going through sexual partners. You may be going through friends. You may be going through jobs. You may be going through churches, just one after another. You may be going through hobbies. You may be going through hairstyles or lack thereof. You may be going through wardrobes or cars. You may be going through locations of where you live because there is no deeply contented identity in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, until you know whose you are, you will not know who you are. Do you know who Christ is in you? He's Savior and provider. Do you know who you are in Christ as God's adopted child, as one who has been given eternal security and is indwelt by the Holy Spirit? Do you know what you have in Christ? You have the promise of access to God Almighty. If you don't know who you are, there is a world that is dying to tell you who they think you should be. And Jesus didn't die for us to embrace truths that are inconsistent with his truth. As I prepare to bring this to a close, um, I want to put this idea before you. Whenever God's people come together to learn from God's word, there's an expectation that we don't leave the same way we came in. That we get poked, prodded, challenged. And my hope today is that maybe something has been said that will help you step into the never-ending fight with the understanding every time you overcome a temptation, you actually are positioning yourself to be able to overcome the next one. That's why I call this the never-ending fight. Until Jesus calls you home, whether you want to be in this fight or not, guess what? You're in a fight. 
So you better get some gloves or you're going to get punched in the mouth. Just as Samson tasted that sweet honey, felt victorious, every time you overcome temptation, you can have that as well. Last thing I want to do before I get out of your hair is the last piece of spiritual ammunition I offered, I said, look inside, look at yourself from the inside out. I want to end my time with a verbal illustration of this. And let me preface this by saying, this is a song I wrote. And so I had someone ask me earlier, like, did you write that song? I'm like, why would I rap somebody else's song? Yeah, I wrote that song. So I want to give y'all this song called Inside Out to illustrate what I mean by look on the inside out. And we will get ready to wrap this up. The words will be on the screen. I will say I need your participation because as I've done this previous, other people were looking like, oh my gosh, he's rapping in church. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So go ahead. Come on, come on, somebody do me a favor. I, yeah, there we go, Highland. Uh, some of y'all are like, oh my gosh, this is happening. Yes, it is. Check it out. So believe that God exists. That he's real. There we go. All right, check this out. Check it out. All the soldiers do not be. Come from to this AGE, but be transferred by the renewing of your mind. So we may discern what is the G. Double O D and P L E. A S I and D and perfect will of God for all to see. Since he's changed me from the inside out. That means I won't be chilling in my sin hideout. Know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I'm sure you do. Cause when the Lord starts his work, that means self-effort is through. Let's say today, today to break away from the old you. Forget about the trash from your past that wants to hold you. Kind of like a broken elevator, but a different set of steps will help you see yourself as great. I see you later, what I had to say. Going to school on Saturday, all the people who wanted to move, but it wasn't in the masses. To go against the crowd, you're going to need your mind renewed. So if they say you act your rules, catch an attitude inside. Come on and say this with me. Inside out. Come on. Come on. Come on. You don't have to be the same from the... You don't have to walk in shame from the, you don't have to play the game. There we go. Somebody in the back standing. That's what I'm talking about. Come on. Inside out. Oh, yes, you heard it clear. And if you need to get in gear, you can get that truth right here. Matter of fact, don't take my word. Lift your sword. Take your open to Romans chapter 12 and let that truth get transferred from your head down to your heart where transformation will start. If you're seeking to change your behavior first, you must be seeking to save. The world's got a mold to squeeze you into. Jesus overcame the world. Everything you've been through inside out. Come on. Come on. Y'all got it. Just a few more bars. 
Here's why. I always like to close my sermons with a sermon in a sentence. This is an African proverb, and it simply says, never develop an appetite for the fruit of a tree you cannot climb. You are in a never-ending fight, but you have hope in the form of Jesus Christ, and I pray today that you would press into him. The reason the comforter has been left with us is because God knew this side of heaven life would have some uncomfortable situations. Let me close in a word of prayer. We'll respond with a song of worship and we will wrap this up. Father, we want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you that because of his death, his burial, his resurrection, we have life and life to the full. I pray if there be one in our midst who has not stepped into a saving relationship with you, God, that they would see the value of understanding this fight is rigged, and if we do it your way, we win. If we don't do it your way, we will exhaust a lot of energy. For that person in this moment right now that you have made crystal clear in their head and in their heart what temptation they need to do battle with, Holy Spirit, in the name of the risen Christ, I pray, God, that victory would be on the other side of battle with that temptation. Father, help us to know that you never call any of us to serve you at the expense of spending time with you. And so I pray, God, that this would be maybe for some a nice swift kick in the bottom to quit playing and to get after everything that comes with calling ourselves yours. We love you, thank you, praise you, honor, and extol you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Redeemer. All the God's people who agreed said amen. Amen. amen.